morning, Cypress Bible Church. Welcome to worship today. We are so glad that you're here to join us in singing God's praise. Let me invite you to stand together and invite you not to be a spectator, but to come and worship with us. Let's sing this out as life leads us. Just one word, you calm the storm that surrounds me. Just one word, the darkness has to retreat. Just one touch, I feel the presence of heaven. Just one touch, my eyes were open to see. My heart can't help but believe. Come on. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a mountain there 
team to sing out this morning. Let's respond to the goodness of our God. Come on. Every voice we say today. When all I see is a battle, you see my victory. When all I see is a mountain, you see the mountain. And as I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. Yes, it does. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. Every voice in the house lifted up with us, we say. So when I fly, I fly on my knees, with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. In every fear, I lay at your feet. I sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Yes, it does. Come on. We lift it up. And if you are for me, who can be against me? Oh, no, oh, no. For Jesus, there's nothing impossible for me. We say, we know the sea of the ashes. You see the beauty. When all I see is a cross, God, you see the empty tomb. And that's what we say today. Come on. So when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh, God, the battle belongs to you. In every field, I lay in your feet. I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. That's right, come on, church. And Almighty Fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows, you win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows, you win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Sin 
Let's give our God some praise today. Come on, He's worthy of it. You may be seated. Good morning and welcome. I'm Brian Carroll, Executive Pastor. My privilege to welcome you here this morning. At Cypress Bible Church, we say wherever you're at in your journey, you are welcome here, and we're glad that you're here if you're a first-time visitor, so welcome. Uh, For uh, those of you who are new, we are in some times of transition. I'm going to give a little bit of announcement about some of those transitions in just a few minutes. But uh, this morning, I want to draw attention to a few other things first. Uh, First, when we come to Cypress Bible Church, we say there are really three primary things we focus on. To gather for worship, that's what we're doing this morning, to grow through life-changing truth, and we believe that's best accomplished in either a small group setting or we have some support group options, and so some sort of way that you can continue to grow in your journey with Jesus. And then the third thing is, is that we uh, go in life-changing mission. We have that responsibility to take the good news of Jesus to people, and uh, we provide different opportunities to do that both locally and across the world. Um, Also, uh, there's information about all those things out in our foyer at the kiosk, so you're welcome to stop by there as well. Uh, If you are new or if there's some way that you want to communicate with us, on the back of your pews is a QR code. You take a picture of that. It'll take you to a form. It's a great way to let us know if there's information that you need. If you're new here and you want something from us, you want to communicate something to us, or you would like to um, give us a prayer request, a way that we can pray for you. So that's the best way to communicate with us as well. Also, we are in the process of lots of change and updates, and so because of that, we want to make sure that you're getting all the information, and some of you do already, but if you are not getting email communication from us and you want to keep abreast of that, we encourage you at the end of the service, you can go out there and either table to the left or to the right, there will be a sign-up sheet where you can say, please send information to me, give us your email address so that we can make sure that we get you the information as it's happening. I want to draw attention to a couple of announcements of things coming up. Our grief share will begin on June 5th, and so that's coming up right away. And this is really a, uh, an opportunity to gather with a group of people who are going through some similar experiences. If you've lost somebody in your life in the recent past, it doesn't even just have to be real recent, but you're still struggling with any of those dynamics uh, because of the loss. I know my mother passed away in October, so I understand that grief journey. And so if that is something that's going on for you, we would invite you to come to this group. It's a great place to, uh, to get together with others, to share those things and support each other. And you can see um, that it starts, again, as I said, on June 5th, meets on Sunday afternoons from 3 to 5 o'clock. If you go out straight out, there's a welcome center there, and there'll be a place there that you can sign up, and they'll contact you with additional information on that. Also, the great news is uh, our church has responded, and almost all of our summer needs have been met for children already, but we do just have a few others that we're just trying to fill in as kind of some backup, and that's to give us a little bit of additional help on that. So those numbers are no longer accurate. Most of those are already filled. We just have a few additional. So if God is leading you to be a part of that solution, whether that's as a sub or whether that's as a regular leader this summer, you can go out to the foyer again and sign up at the Welcome Center, and they will get in, someone will be in touch with you this week about that. As I mentioned, there are lots of transitions. Again, for those who are, of you who are new, we're in the process of seeking a lead pastor, and there'll be some updated information on that process uh, next week uh, that'll be coming out, and so you can be looking for that. That's why we want to make sure that you're getting the information that we send out. Um, But this week, we're announcing some changes that are happening in our worship ministry. Uh, The elders gave Josh Stewart an option to take a four-week paid vacation. Or not vacation, I should say paid time off. It won't be a vacation at all. Uh, But anyway, for an opportunity for him to really discern what God's direction and will is for him and his family at this juncture in time. 
All of that information was sent out in a video and a transcript. If you did not get that, there will be a transcript out in the foyer that you can look at and read so you can be aware of all the specifics. But we just want to highlight a few of those things. And uh, a couple of those things are uh, that Josh will be here for today and then next Sunday. And then Chad Perez, and this is Chad right over here on the left. Uh, Chad Perez is going to, yeah, you can welcome Chad. That'd be great. And Chad will be, uh, will, they'll be co-leading together, and then Chad will be leading us at least for the four weeks in June as we kind of all discern God's direction, really, for Josh, Chad, and Cypress Bible Church. And so we're glad to have him here this morning. And uh, his, also his family is joining him as well, and that is uh, his wife, um, uh, Katrina, Kylie, uh, Liam, and Emma Perez. And so as you see them around, we encourage you to welcome them as well. But uh, Josh, give it to you. Thank you, Pastor Brian. And church family, so honored uh, for this sweet gift uh, to take some time to really pray and ask the Lord, what is uh, he leading our family to? And uh, do, how many of you remember that old song by Wayne Watson for such a time as this? Oh, good. I figured some, some might know that song. I've been thinking about that for so long in this season of Cyprus Bible Church and what God is doing here for such a time as this because God has his hand on this church in a very special way. And I believe he is continuing to do wonderful things here and at the same time preparing you for wonderful things to come. And as I've been praying through and asking the Lord what to do, um, and the church offered this opportunity to take some time away to uh, really focus only on that, God provided this incredible man right here, Chad Perez, to come and lead in this time. And I just got to tell you, I'm so grateful uh, for this man right here. I've had the chance to get to know him a little bit, and he has an incredible shepherd's heart, which I believe great pastors have, are great shepherds, and they should smell like the sheep, right? We should all be here loving each other and caring for what God is going to do in each of our lives and hearts. And I believe Chad brings that. Obviously a great singer, a great musician, but I know you're going to be blessed by that. And it's for such a time as this. God continues to provide, continues to be faithful, and he will continue to do so. And so I would appreciate your prayers for me, for my family, for Chad and his family. Continue to pray for the worship ministry and continue to pray for the pastor search process. God's doing great things. His people can make an impact, and he hears your prayers. So worship through your prayer during the week, and let's see what the Lord does. Amen? Awesome. Would you stand together with us? Let's continue to worship and sing to the Lord.
Son, the one who died for me. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, praise Church family, I want to invite you to join me in just a season of prayer. If you're comfortable where you are, just close your eyes. Lift your voice in prayer to the Lord. And what we want to focus on this morning is the beautiful provision of our Savior. And remembering that the battle that the enemy tries to hold up against us is the battle of our minds. In Mark 12, 30, it says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Those are four key areas of who we are. And a lot of times when the enemy wants to attack, if he can get our minds thinking about something, then we can be impacted in every other part of our life. The scripture gives us the privilege to renew our mind. To renew our mind with the word of God. And I believe one of the many reasons that worship is a gift from the Lord is that it allows us to renew our mind because we're putting our focus on what the word of God tells us to do. And the word of God tells us to focus on Jesus. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive blessing and honor and glory and power and might and dominion forever and ever. And when we focus on Jesus, the things of this world begin to fade. When we focus on his sacrifice, on who he is, the beauty of worshiping him overwhelms the confusion, the pain, the suffering, anything that we're walking through. So if your mind is feeling attacked this morning, I want to invite you to worship, invite you to focus on the cross, to focus on Jesus and what he has done for you. And allow that to be your strength and worshiping him will change you I promise. 
God will not leave you where you are. He is right there with you. And he wants to help you guard your mind with the helmet of salvation, with remembering that Jesus Christ has paid it all so that we could love, that we could know, and that we could worship Jesus.
God, thank you for being a protector of our minds. As we put on the armor of God each day, each week, Lord, we know the enemy is against us, but you are for us and you have already defeated the enemy. Worthy are you, worthy of all of our praise. We love you, we trust you, and it's in your powerful, strong, and providing name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So worried about losing battery power that you don't turn it on. So we got plenty of battery power for 30 minutes. Um, good morning. So good to be with you. We are launched. We've been going through the book of Acts. We're about halfway through it. And today we're in chapter 5. And this is the wildest ride. I was looking through this all week long going, where is this going? And how do we bring this to a unifying point? So it's going to be fun. I think all of us are going to be a little bit challenged on some things because there's some major life issues that get addressed here uh, for the Christian and for the church. So uh, we are going to have a little fun. And remember this um, message, and hopefully you've got your, your booklet. Um, you can take notes in that and answer questions in uh, the booklet that you should have. The full text is in there. Um, so let's take a look at this one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. That's our title for today, a great quote by Neil Armstrong, and it really kind of changed the world in so many ways, but I like this other quote by Neil. He says, it's a great thing for a man to walk on the moon, but it's a greater thing for God to walk on the earth. That really sets us up because that's the true miracle, people. It's not that man walked on the moon, and we're going to see miracles performed today, and people love a good miracle. They really do. But the true miracle is that the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He came here to planet earth. He took on human flesh, and He walked among us, and He died a terrible death, taking our sin on Him. And He became both the just and the justifier. Folks, that's the miracle. So let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for today. We just want you to lead us, to guide us, to reveal your word to us, and we just ask for your, your, your real mercy um, today, that uh, we would see things in your text that will just motivate us to live our lives in a greater response to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name, amen. So, um, one of the questions you have to ask is, what happened from that one small step? Um, what did we get from the space program? We got tang. We got, we got, you know, powdered drinks. That's what we got from it. No, there's a lot that we got from it. Um, and, and, and some of it didn't really turn out what, what, the way we really hoped it would, right? We found out that the moon wasn't made out of cheese, right? That was a big deal because that was the age-old question. But we see that next steps then followed for the space program. Um, we got massive improvements in technology and communications that we enjoy today greatly. So while it looked like it was one small step, many other steps came from it. And we're going to find the same thing out for the church of Jesus Christ because they're taking their first steps here. 
God is establishing His church on earth to be His instrument for the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is infinitely important to the Trinity, to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is that there is a divine instrument on this earth to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And when you become part of a church, you are a part of God's most important plan. So never overlook or short sell the church of Jesus Christ. Okay, that was a good sermon. We can all go now. Okay, so let's take a look at the text. It's a miraculous ministry. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick to the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits. Okay, what's interesting here is Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, he's giving us a generalized synopsis here in these four verses. Remember in verse 11 is the first time the word church is used. And so that's why I can say this is the establishment of God's church on planet earth. And so here's what happened. He's kind of just generalizing it here. And now he's going to move in verses 17 to 42 to a really kind of a specific set of events that occurred. So, so there's these signs and wonders going on um, in the church, in, in, in the town. And it's not just Jerusalem. It's starting to spread out, and it's starting to affect people. Um, and, 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 and it's going to get noticed by the Sanhedrin, and they're not going to like it. But notice here that it says, no one else dare join them in verse 13. Okay? What that means is there were people in Jerusalem that really loved what was going on, but they also remembered, oh yeah, remember, oh, that's that, the, the, those followers of Jesus and, you know, Ananias and Sapphira, they like dropped dead because they brought a gift to church and God didn't like it. So I'm not sure I really want to go and see what they're up to. Okay? When, when people hear stories like that, they get spooked. Okay, remember when Joshua went into Canaan, all of Canaan, they were spooked. They had heard about the ten plagues in Egypt. Okay, so when people who are naturally superstitious, and these are naturally superstitious people, okay, because they're even trying to bring out people, just if Peter's shadow would go across them, because they believe that, 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 that somebody's shadow actually was a part of them. And so if Peter's a holy man, you know, then, 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 then if you get just even his shadow, you're getting, you're getting his essence, okay? Notice here in the text, though, it doesn't say whether or not the shadow actually healed people, okay? It's going a little bit deeper into the mindset of people. And notice that there were signs and wonders taking place. Think about the word sign. What is a sign? Do you see a lot of them when you drive up and down the streets? Yes. So a sign is just like when it says 55 and miles an hour. Okay, that's the law, right? But I have an inner Sammy Hagar in me, and I can't drive 55. Okay, but is the sign the reality? No. A sign always points to a greater truth, a greater reality. 
And so when these things happen, they're signs, and they're pointing to something greater. And you know who that greater person is? It's Jesus. So any type of a sign, a wonder, or a miracle that happens, it's all pointing to God. Notice that all of these miracles that take place, and there's 29 of them in the book of of Acts of 28 chapters, so that's basically one per chapter. They're always successful, they're always immediate, and there's no relapse. And if you're like me, I've been kind of a student of the faith healer sort of movement for the last hundred years. That's not typically the case, folks. Okay. Um, and, it's, and, and what you see when miracles, signs, and wonders happening, you, they happen after with, with Moses coming out of Egypt, and they're happening here in the ministry of Jesus and then in the first church. And then if you look at church history, there aren't a whole lot of signs and wonders and miracles that take place. Okay, So it's one of the reasons why we would say you know, that the miracles in the Bible are miracles with a capital M. Okay, and it always is to arouse awe, wonder, and belief. That's the purpose of miracles in the Bible. And they authenticate either the prophet or the, the apostle that they are God's instrument. And not only should you like be wowed by the event, but you need to believe the message he is preaching. Right? It's what gave Moses power and authentication with the people of Israel when they were coming out of Egypt. Whoa, dude, Moses does these uh, 10 plagues. Uh, okay, I'll listen to what he has to say. Right? That's why they existed, because for, for whatever reasons, the people weren't going to believe unless there was some authenticating miracle. Okay? So, it's a non-normative activity in the history of, of the world and the church just really is. Now, I have a dear friend who lives here in Houston, and um, Christina spent, I think, three years with Mama Heidi here. This is about 10 years ago. Can't find any more news about Mama Heidi, but she was doing all kinds of healings over in Mozambique. Now, when we speak of miracles today, and really for the last hundred years, miracles really came under the attack of philosophers and rationalistic thinking out of the age of Darwin, that was trying to say miracles aren't true, okay? There's nobody that I know of in, who, who really believes in Christ that says miracles aren't true, but there's capital M miracles and little m miracles, okay? And the thing is, with, with miracles, they're really hard to validate. They, they, they really have been. There's been lots of people, lots of groups trying to validate these things. Now, one of the things that you have to, you know, realize is, you know, I, I can stand up here and say, yeah, I believe that I've experienced a miracle in my life, but it's a little M, okay? When I was 16 years old, I was a high school quarterback trying to score a touchdown. They tackled me. My leg was over here. They couldn't get me off the field because the bone was up, the femur was up against the artery, and they knew that if they didn't set me right and moved, it would lacerate the artery and I would bleed out. After the surgery, my mother said to the doctor, Dr. Cohen, said, she said, she's always humorous, well, doctor, is my boy going to walk? And he said, I think so. He tried a very new procedure on my knee where he stitched together both the ACL and the MCL. I blew them both out. 
And he said, really, 40 years ago, the only thing to do was to fuse the knee together, and I could walk around like this. Okay. So good news, 40 years later, because of his surgery, I could walk out this door and run a 10K. I could go play tennis. I'm delighted. What happened in that is I prayed to God because I knew that I would never play football again, and that's all I wanted to do as a 16-year-old boy. I was single-minded and focused. I prayed, Lord Jesus, if you would heal my knee better than anyone thinks possible, I'll give you my life, even if that means becoming a minister. Ten months later, I go in to see Dr. Cohen, which, by the way, in Hebrew means priest. Crazy, huh? And he pulls back after, you know, doing all kinds of stuff with my knee, and he says, David, I have never seen a knee heal like this in my entire life. I remembered that prayer like that. And I went back and I said, Lord, you can't possibly want me because ministers are weird. They have hair coming out of their nose and their ears. They have weak handshakes and they have really bad breath. Okay, maybe my minister did, maybe yours didn't. But anyhow, um, we project. And so two days later, my very best friend comes back from a Young Life camp in Colorado. And he says, I've accepted Christ into my life. And I did weeks after that. And he's now a minister of a very large church in Ohio. Here's the thing. Did God do a miracle in my knee? Does he, I know what he did do. He answered my prayer. He answered my prayer. And he performed a healing that exceeded the normal bounds of medical skills at that time. Okay? So was it a miracle? I'd say yes with a small m, because it did produce faith in me. So I just think we just need to be very careful when we talk about miracles, because when I was a kid, we had Ernest Angley on TV from Akron, Ohio. He's ended up becoming a complete fraud, pervert, wasted money, horrible, horrible person. But he he would slay them in the spirit, and he'd go, you are healed. And then the person would fall back. Well, for a nine-year-old boy, that's hilarious. You know, and he had the three-piece polyester suit on. We would watch that, and they were like lime green, or they were white. And so we would do that with each other and fall back into the grass. When nine-year-old boys are mocking the things of, quote-unquote, Christians, we need to really seriously question it. Are not to be mocked. And nor are they to be taken, you know, advantage of. So we just need to be very, very careful when we're speaking about miracles and when people say they have ministries of healing and, 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 and miracles. Be very careful because I'll put this to you. Mother Teresa for 50 years was in the streets of Calcutta and she took one person off the street every day so they could die with dignity. And she would clean them and she would read the scriptures to them. Now, that's miraculous. It's miraculous that a human being could consistently love somebody and people who were dying that way for 50 years. That's miraculous. But it's extremely human, but it's only motivated by the Holy Spirit. So let our miracles be us believing the gospel and doing what he calls us to do. Because the next thing we see here are angels, and angels are awesome. Okay? 
So then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, they were filled with jealousy. Now it reveals their true motivation. They're jealous. The people are following the apostles and not them. They're losing power. So they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. All about this new life. Okay, why did the angel release the apostles? To preach the gospel. And this is a very unique phraseology in all of the New Testament. Go and tell them the message of life. Okay, it's just, and, and the word here isn't even proclaim, it's lego, right? It's just go, go tell them. Go tell them about the message of this life. And it's the good news. And we're going to see in a few minutes here what that good, good news is. But notice that, you know, the angels of, of God just didn't feel like, you know, the prison had anything left to offer the apostles, so he let them out. Okay, that's a line from a movie, Raising Arizona, um, if you didn't catch it. Um, but notice... It's jealousy motivating the government officials. The Pharisees had control of the people by their religious teaching. The Sadducees, they had the relationship with Rome in control of the temple, and they sat as the Sanhedrin, and they ruled over the people of Israel. And they're not happy. They're jealous. They're only concerned about their own power and control. Does that sound like your average government official? Or, or at least many, or the most notorious. And so we see here now this tension going to arise between the church and the state. And it's been with us ever since. And it still exists. And so, but notice the purpose of the angel. If you're sitting around praying for angels, I can tell you what the angel will tell you. Go tell people about this message of life. Right? That's the concern of heaven. That's why an angel comes. It's because the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is being restrained by government officials, and heaven will have nothing to do with it. So, God moves in mysterious ways. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to, to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. <laughs> this is a great prison break. It really is. I mean, God can do a great prison break better than anybody. You can watch Ocean's Eleven, but this is a good one. Um, so what we have going on here is they're confounded. They can't understand these mysterious ways, these mysterious movements. And when God starts working, it is mysterious because we can't explain it. Now, you should be saying here to yourself, there's all kinds of like stuff going on here with the church, and nobody really kind of can comprehend it. Well, guess what? Every church has been that way since this time, right? Nobody a year ago would have said that Cypress Bible Church would be at this exact place we are today. Every church in town is that way. God moves, and it's a mystery to us. We're our only call is to follow the leading of the Lord. We do not want to follow human leading. Now, discerning God's leading isn't always easy, because you can even kind of sense here from the apostles, they're just kind of along for the ride. So, 
I love this hymn. This is why hymns are awesome. Look at that second verse there. I mean, this is written 250 years ago. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense. That means your own human understanding, your own rational thought. But trust Him for what? For His grace. Trust His grace for your life. Because behind that frowning providence, behind the sea, the storm, the clouds in your life, hides a smiling face. Do you believe that when you're going through a hard time in life or things aren't working out the way that you want to or you have relational troubles with people, do you believe that behind that frown of life that you see is a smiling face and it's the face of grace? It's the face of God your Father who loves you. Does that help you when you go through a difficult time in life to know that behind that difficult time, God's there? And he's going to move and he's going to act. You just don't know how yet. So submit yourself to his sovereign grace, to his providence. Trust in God. Because we see here that the Pharisees are not trusting in God. They're jealous. The jealous person lacks love and lacks faith. Jealous is angry rage that somebody has something that you don't have. And therefore, they lack love and they lack faith. And we cannot be like that as the people of God. We are to be motivated by love and faith in God. So you see this contrast emerging through this narrative. So, again, we see the government officials, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they're just concerned about how they look, right? And that's always the case with a politician. They're only concerned about how something makes them look. So then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that time, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force. They wanted to because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles, notice how it's okay for government officials to stone you, the people, but they don't want to be stoned themselves. Um, The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in in this name, he said, Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Right? They're only, are they concerned about the things of God? Are they concerned about the better interests of the people? I mean, people are being healed of sicknesses. People are rejoicing in the streets. Are, are, are the government officials concerned about that? No. They're Pharisees. They're fakes. They're frauds. So here's what you have to deal with, folks. How do you see the church? Most of you probably have not given this any or much thought in your life, but pastors like me, we think about it all the time. It's part of the trade. The church only has five positions against the culture or with the culture. You can either, as the church, say, you know what, we're going to be against the culture, we're going to be Amish, and we're going to live just like it's 1800. Why? Because everything was done with wood, and everybody wore black and white, and we think that's really cool, and that's how we're going to live. Okay? So you can go that route. I don't see any Amish in here. Raise your hand if you're an Amish. Okay. So, and, and, and that's the history of the church. The majority of churches throughout church history does not take this option. Although, it sounds like a pretty good one, though. I mean, I mean just think about it. You don't have to deal with all the craziness going on in the world. Just build your barns. Um, so, um, no, seriously, no, it, it's, it, it's not a bad option. I, I get it now. Um, 
Christ of culture. That's the accommodist model. Usually you see your liberal mainline churches going this way. We're just going to accommodate. Okay, what, 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 what's the thing that we're supposed to be accepting of today? Okay, we'll go along with it. Just like the German church went along with the Kaiser in World War I and said, yes, this is of the Lord. We should all go to war. And then after that, people left the church in droves because what? You're the church. You said that my son should go and get slaughtered in war. You don't speak for God. You don't speak for me. We've got to be very careful about taking an accommodational position with the church, with the church, with the state, or with culture. It always, always sinks the, the church. Third one, Christ above culture. It, 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 it's where we bring justice to the world. We're, we're, we're better, and we're going we're gonna to go along with everything. And so you see this today with, with, with anyone who's talking greatly about social justice. Fourth is Christ and culture and paradox. I think most of us have kind of been in this sort of place before where there's sacred world, there's secular world, we exist, but the two don't really intertwine. And so if you grew up going to a church and they were always saying, to live a godly life, you need to go be a minister or a missionary, okay? That, that is that Christ and culture and paradox view. And what that does is the guy who's the carpenter, the mechanic, the accountant, the lawyer, he's like, I, I don't know how I really serve Christ in my work, okay? And that's not a good place to be because most Christians have to work for a living. But the fifth one is where I think we are. We have a, a conversionist model, which we see here in this text, where we're going to go and we're going to change the world for Jesus. We're going to make sure that when there's laws on the book, that those laws are conforming to the Scriptures. When we try and do good things, it's going to be because we want to change the world. Do you know where public education comes from? I can point to it. 1540 Geneva, Switzerland. Because John Calvin said to the mayor, the magistrate, and the city council, the most important thing in the world is that people have a Bible for themselves and they can read the Bible. Therefore, you, the mayor, and the city council, your job is to educate the children of Geneva so that they can read God's holy word and have it for themselves. That's where public education comes from, the church of Jesus Christ. And I could go on down the list, hospitals and so forth. The church, when it takes this, we're going to transform culture, life changes for everybody, even if they don't even recognize it. So, number five, because the gospel's true, this is like the fun part. The, the apostles speak. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Ouch. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Okay, powerful words. Here's why do we have signs? Why do we have wonders? Why are all these things taking? So that the gospel of Jesus Christ can be preached. What is the mission of the church of Jesus Christ today, then, in Africa, in Europe, in America? Preach the gospel in season and out of season. And not just the pulpit. It's not just my job. It's all of our jobs as Christians. I love what Martin Luther says about the church. 
We need to pledge ourselves anew to the cause of Christ. We must capture the spirit of the early church. He's talking about the church we're seeing here in this text. Wherever the early Christians went, they made a triumphant witness for Christ. Whether on village streets or in the city jails, they daringly proclaim the good news of the gospel. We cannot afford to be a vacillating church. We minister to a people who are in great need of hearing truth. We dare not make any attempt to soft pedal that glorious truth. Do I hear an amen? This is what it means to be the prevailing church, to be the church triumphant. We don't back down from the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And if you're here and this is new to you, that Jesus Christ loves you, that he died for you, that he gave himself up for you, that he wants to have a relationship with you, if this is news to you, I would encourage you to open up your heart and your mind to it. I would challenge you to believe it. I would challenge you to see if you can find any other message in this world that is a better message than you have a Father in heaven who loves you and sent his own son to die for you so that he can give you all of the rewards of heaven. There is no better message. It's too good to be true. Just too good to be true. So how do you know the will and wisdom of God? Gamal, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men you will only find out yourselves fighting against God. Now, this happens in churches all the time. Churches are typically led by a board. It might be elders, might be deacons, could be bishops, could be some pastors, whatever. But the church moves slow on some matters. Why does it take so long to get a new pastor? Can't you just go find one? They're just growing on trees. Right? We just need a guy who's been to seminary and who's got like, you know, 10 years of preaching skills and he's really great with people. And he, yeah, yeah, there's just lots of guys like that who want to come to Houston. So my point is, <clears throat> really, it's not that humid here. Come in November. And so don't come in May. <laughs> so my point is this. Things in church move slower than they do in the business world. Before I took my first pastorate. I had 10 years of business experience, okay? I get it. I get it. That's because we're trying to discern the will of God. If you own a business, you know, you either, you either got to get the right guy in the job or you got to get the product out the door and you got to do it on time and you got to keep your customer happy, okay? You don't, you don't have to discern the will of God for those things, okay? So, so, Knowing whether or not something is of God, you have to wait to see if it comes to fruition. So most people, when they talk about the will of God, they're only concerned about themselves. So here's my seven points. I'm not going to leave it on the screen long. Notice that Gamel was Paul's teacher. Irony. Okay. All of these relationships that you see in the ministry of Jesus, people have all kinds of relationships. And never forget this. The gospel always moves on the pathway of relationships, okay? The gospel is always moving in the pathway of relationships, and that's true for your life, and that's true for this church. 
So how do you want to know if you've got God's will going for you in your life? Obey his word. Live by faith. What does it mean to live by faith? Lord, what do you think I should do about this? Lord, should we go on this trip? Lord, what should we do? Should I buy this plot of land? Should I marry this girl? Should I go to this college? Be in constant dialogue with him, right? Seek his kingdom first, right? Seek his kingdom first. Not your will, but his will be done. So pray the Lord's prayer over and over and over every day. He gave it to us so that we would pray it, okay? Fifth, live a peaceful, quiet, godly, holy life. Don't be a contentious person always stirring up the pot, okay? Be active in the worship and the work of the church, and then do what you enjoy. Do what you enjoy. And if I had time, I would tell you about how I've just practiced this all throughout my life, is is I put him first. I see what he's doing in my life and what gives me joy, and I just follow it, and I just enjoy it. Okay, enjoy the good things of God. Okay, so here's what finally happens. They called them back in. They had them flogged, okay? So Gamal's no hero. He's like, yeah, don't do anything to them, but just like beat the tar out of them, <laughs> right? Then they ordered them not to speak, but did they do that? No. Uh, they rejoiced, right? The apostles left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts, house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Okay, so here's how we wrap this up. Chaos happens, and the church is always adapting. We follow divine leading. There's always going to be internal and external challenges to every church. We take a beating, and we keep on ticking. Who remembers the Timex commercials? right? That's the Christian, right? You rejoice when hard things come in your life. Try that on, right? Most people don't rejoice when they're going through a rough time. But what we see here is if you rejoice, you count it as loss. You count it as a suffering. Oh, I'm going through all this pain. Oh, that's right. Jesus went through a lot of pain for me to bring about my salvation. Oh, so if I taste pain in my life, I'm connecting to the pain that Jesus experienced, okay? That, that's where you're supposed to go with that. And notice the work of the church is always propositional and proclamational, meaning we tell people. We are telling people about God's Word and God's truth and His grace and the gospel. That's what the church does. There's a lot of really good slides here, but we're going to finish up here because the hardest thing is to take 90 minutes of content as a pastor and put it down into 30 minutes. It's really hard. But where do we now come with this? Here's our our, our last thing to think about. We've seen God work in that first church, and we have to believe that God is working in this church. He's working in your life. He's working in my life. He's working in the staff's lives. He's working in the elders' lives, right? And so where do we take our next step, right? We, we want to see some things happen this year. We want to see some increased participation in things. We'd like to see 500 BBS kids come this summer. How does that happen? Tell people. Tell people, hey, we got this great VBS. It's at night. You and your kids can come. We'll have a meal for you. It's going to be great, right? Our, our desire is to see dozens of people come to Christ this year. And you know what? Of even these things I'm putting up here on the screen, I asked members of the staff to give me their ideas. What should I tell this, 
the church is going to be our next step for the rest of this year. Some of these things are going to happen. Other things are going to happen as well because we're just following the leading of the Holy Spirit of where God is going. And do that as a church and do that in your own life, right? Follow the examples that we're seeing here, but always, always, always come back to the gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus that motivates us and leads us. Amen? Thank you, Pastor Dave. Church family, we have an opportunity to respond to the Lord and to remember his faithfulness, that the God we serve, that we serve now, is also the same God as before and the same God that will lead us into the future. So would you stand together with us and let's worship and remember this truth. He is faithful. He is for us. Sing this out. I'm calling on the God of Jacob, whose love endures through generations. I know that you will keep your covenant. I'm calling on the God of Change God. Sing, you heard your children. You heard your children then. You hear your children now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You answered prayers back then, and you will answer now. 
You are the same God. You are the same God. You were providing then. You are providing now. You are the same God. You are the same. Church of Jesus Christ, located in Cyprus, Texas, you have had the message of eternal life preached to you. You have believed it. Now the angel of God releases you from your prisons of sin and death and condemnation to go into this world and teach and preach the message of this eternal life found in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Go. Go.